0: Praise the Lord for your presence here this morning and uh, singing much about the grace of God and praising the Lord how much that has been a work in our life. God's divine enabling, God's divine help to um, allow us to be here today. Thank you, Tony. And um, praise the Lord for your presence and uh, may you receive as being prayed a blessing from the word of God today. And so we're looking, the name is... um, Nineveh's repentance, and we've just heard that story, that great revival, and um, and so we're going to be looking more so at the doctrine of repentance, and but looking at a few aspects of this repentance in the Old Testament and in the New, and so. We'll be learning all about that, which has been a great blessing. Praise the Lord for a message this morning, and uh, praise the Lord for your hearts that have been prepared in much prayer, and uh, to receive this word with gladness and joy, as we have great hope. And so, we hear that name, Jonah, and, uh, and like mine, does your mind flash back to when we first heard, maybe in Sunday school, or somewhere in a... In a children's ministry club of that amazing rescue from certain drowning in chapter 2 we read that account of Jonah the God had created a tempest we know Jonah was running away from the Lord well he was trying to run away from his responsibilities you can never run away from the Lord he is everywhere present praise the Lord but he, he and the Lord was very gracious and merciful and he's on a sea on a, on the on the on a boat down there asleep trying to just sleep it off, maybe the conviction the guilt, and the Lord causes a great rough sea a great tempest you read there a mighty wind it's called a mighty great and uh, it's gonna get the attention of Jonah even if he's trying to sleep and you know but it ends up he's thrown overboard according to God's will God's providence and God had already prepared a great fish praise the Lord, and that swallowed him. And we know of that account. We know of recent accounts, like in the last century. Men have been swallowed by, it says a great fish, we'll say, we know whales are great fishes of our day. And they have lived to survive because they've been captured and uh, whether a fisherman has fallen off. And, and there is an account and, uh, of that happening. And they've been opened up, that whale, and uh, the person has survived. And so how that has happened is by the providence and grace of God again. But God uses a lot of these situations, even the archaeological discovery of Nineveh that was buried in rubble for many years to prove that this was a great city. And uh, it did exist. And the Bible account of it is true. And I've read that. And so um, it was a great city of trade, a great city of many people. And so um they had they had a lot of uh things going on in their economy and so but they we know they were a very violent people but we'll look at all that a very wicked people that got God's attention even and so our Lord Jesus and in his ministry and I'm just looking here in Matthew chapter 12 a lot of the scripture today will I'll read off a of, I'll quote the text and be reading it off a page, but some will turn to and actually read like this one, Matthew 12. This is where the Lord Jesus gives an account of the historical account of, of this book of Jonah, Matthew 12, 38. The Lord Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and we know their hard heart and, and, uh, and their blindness to the truth. Then, verse 38 of chapter 12, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And here's the sign. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here, and uh, that type of um, Jonah that was in the whale, in the in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights and and is showing us the greater the Lord Jesus Christ who was the sign was going even though he'd done all those miracles and he had shown the most compassionate love anyone could ever show to anyone in his ministry and kindness and mercy and long suffering that wasn't enough and they weren't going to believe even if there was another sign but the greatest, the sign was his death on the cross and his burial and three days in the grave and raising again in victory on that third day and over sin, death, and hell. And so, as we consider those thoughts, let's pray. And as we get into the message, dear Lord, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we thank you for this account that we can look at today of what it is true repentance, Lord. Toward you, Lord God of our sin, and what it means, and what it doesn't mean, Lord, especially as the world and the devil likes to deceive us, Lord, into thinking what it is not, so that we step, we come one step short of true repentance, which is not salvation. So, Father, we pray that you open the eyes of our heart and the ears of our understanding to these. What we have today compared to the message of Nineveh, the exceeding great and precious promises of redemption. And Lord, we thank you that we have a greater than Jonas that has been revealed to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his perfect, pure holiness, spotless, without blemish, life. And that was this, Lord, the satisfying of your just demands of his payment of our sins through his own life's blood, Lord. We thank you. And we just commit this time to you now as you bless our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the first point today is the calls of repentance. And the message of repentance has never been changed, all right? This message has been the same in every age, right throughout the Old and the New Testament. There is a question, all right, um, who was the last of the Old Testament prophets? And it's not Malachi, as we might think of the last book of the Bible. It's actually John the Baptist. And now, when we consider his message and I'm just going to quickly quite a few verses I'm not going to look all these ones up just to quote them we think of um, um, Matthew 3 1 to 2 and you know in the beginning of the gospel and he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent ye repent ye that was his first message repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we see that in Matthew 3 and and Mark 1 4 and preached he came in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin now who was the next major figure to come on the scene after John the Baptist it was Jesus Christ Okay. now Jesus didn't say as we look at some of those verses John said he, but I say, he did not reconstruct John's message at all. He uh, preached the very same message that John the Baptist preached. And we see that in Matthew 4.17. It's a very repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then also in Luke, like it's also in Matthew 9.13, Luke 10.13. But in Luke 13, 1 to 5 as we go through, we see there that twice Jesus said, Except ye repent, in emphasising that, and then at the verse five, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So we're seeing this emphasis. Somebody will say, all right, okay. Now there's a little bit of uh, controversy around this because that that was on the other side of the cross. All right, right, okay. We need to go to the first gospel message that was preached by Peter in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight start of the New Testament church, and what was the message there, the first gospel message? Peter said unto them, repent, and be baptized, the exact same message, and, you know, in the second gospel, as we go through each gospel message in the book of Acts, after Pentecost, at the start of the church, early church, we see the same message, Acts 3.19, repent, ye therefore, and the third gospel message, right up to chapter 5, um, him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a saviour, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, for to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. Okay, now, somebody's going to say, well, there's the key. Peter was an apostle to the Jews and so his message to the Jews was repent. Alright, okay, Jews, what about Paul? He was the apostle to the Gentiles but some will even say, okay, Paul didn't preach repentance. You read through all his epistles, he just tells you how to have order in the local church and how to deal with problems and you no, know, if we look in Acts as we are here, let's go to Acts seventeen. We just lay a foundation here of the calls of repentance. Paul had just gotten through, he just he's outside of Israel, Jerusalem, and he's walking through Athens and he's just walked through the Acropolis of Athens. Heap of those old buildings that are still there today in ruins, but you can look at them with you know where that originally the heathen temples were. And we have him here in Acts chapter 17 standing on Mars Hill. And here are the Greeks who are Gentiles, not Jews. Worship. The Greeks we know worship their minds and their bodies, and they were not Jews as we know. And so he stood there on Mars Hill and he to the Acropolis temples there in the distance and you know this is sadly a place where women had given themselves to the heathen gods in immorality and you know he said there as we see he passed by in verse 23 verse 17 uh, one of your inscriptions I think we know that and I saw written on that idol to the unknown god there in verse 23 and uh, that may be has ever come to the true God just to recognise an unknown God maybe, and he said you, the Apostle Paul said basically you Greeks, paraphrasing this, you don't even know who you're worshipping you're worshipping, but you don't and he said I want to tell you about God as we see from verse 24 down, and uh, and you know he talks about the God of creation God who created everything and, and that makes him sovereign and doesn't that make him incomplete he, um you know, he, he keeps everything in order, and by him all things consist, as we even look in the New Testament. And you know, as we consider that, we look at verse 30. We look at this message he gives to them in, in getting their attention. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. both to the Jews and also to the Greeks here we have both repentance toward God and faith toward Him. and unless you have repented basically the Bible is saying you have not been saved so we need to look at this word repentance and what it means Lord Jesus Christ to the Pharisees in Matthew there we looked at before um, many unbelievers have been warned and you know they've been appealed through camps have been through evangelistic meetings through church through weddings through funerals they've been appealed to numerous times and yet they remain truly unrepentant through tracts, through a one-on-word witness and yet what is happening these days is it seems like it's getting worse And uh, in this, like the ignorance was back then in early church. God, you know the times of this ignorance. God has winked at. The truth is, um, the light of the world has shone through the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ that we must repent. And and yet, when we can, what is happening today? It's becoming less insisted upon in our preaching, and we're seeing that. Quote. This is an old quote, seldom is the plough of conviction driven deep into the soil of the human soul. Now, the new modern evangelicalism of our day um, is concerned only about the obvious things of self-satisfaction. And it goes literally hand in hand with what they're teaching in humanism in our schools. And the outward eternal appearance and feelings that come from that. So what we're seeing in our postmodernism is a generation of people who do not want their consciences disturbed at all. And if the prodigal wants to return, as we know from the New Testament, he must return in sorrow. And as we can go to the Old Testament, as the Psalmist said, a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. So unlike Nineveh, as we read there before in chapter 3, there are those who have enjoyed today many privileges of being exposed and taught the truth. And many over the years have made decisions for Christ, and we know that and in our own life experience. But we just, sadly, there are many that we just don't see any fruit Meet for repentance in those lives enduring today, that in that enduring. And so when they were at the decision, they come to the altar as it were, of making a decision for Christ, they were moved and uh they 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 was there literally a woe is me for I'm undone from Isaiah six, that just that um, uh, was there an awe for the holiness of God as that was presented to them in Jesus' perfect purity and, and 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 in his life and how that was acceptable to God only? As we contrast with the holiness of God with our depravity, of our unworthiness as in our wretchedness it's like the, the hymns we sing that saved a wretch like me was there a deep mourning for sin or and we can think this in our own testimonies as we examine our own lives and and uh, where we've come from there or was there just the and literally today was there the chewing of bubble gum the popping of bubble gum in the mouth or the smirk on their faith because others were doing it or it just was the thing that was um, presented and worked on so what we've got to do when we look at Nineveh's repentance in the Old Testament we need to know that that was actually accepted by God that their repentance and and we need to look also at the doctrine of repentance as we are now and what it biblically really is okay what we need to realize um we have more information today. We have the whole scriptures, what they call the canon of scripture. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that great work in believers here on earth. The Comforter has come, and uh, and so when we consider that, we are very accountable to God. And I'm going to look at Matthew twelve forty one. Now this is just a little bit. Um, we we read that already, but just to remind ourselves, Matthew twelve forty one. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So what this is saying, when we consider this, the greater the opportunity, the greater the judgment, because. Let's realise Nineveh was in heathen darkness. There were no local churches there. There were no prophets based there. They had one prophet come, Jonah. But you know what? He was none of the greatest. He was actually, um, didn't have a full right heart attitude, even as we see in Jonah chapter 4. He didn 't even really want them to get saved he didn 't think they deserved it, and you will probably say the same if you read of the historical account of the Assyrians, that being the, one of the greatest cities there, they used to stack the skulls up at the city gate to bring fear and trepidation to their enemies and uh, because and there are many horrible things they used to do, literally skinning people alive and putting them on stakes out in the middle of the hot desert sun just to fry alive. And it's just the most ungodliest, demonic um, behaviour, the heathenistic behaviour. Um, it's known, you know. And so, and you would just say too naturally in the flesh, they don't deserve to be saved. They deserve hell. And that's, we can say that about people and, you know, our enemies and but they heard one prophet and Jonah gave no word as we read there, no word of hope. It was just a message of doom and forty days to think about it and work something out yourselves, how you're going to respond. It was no promise of pardon that we have today, if you do respond or turn from what they knew was the problem it was their wickedness it was their violence it talked about that now it was only a crushing and final doom Nineveh shall be overthrown literally was the message Jonah gave in 40 days there's no hope yet out of that dreadful message praise the Lord we see a turning we see a people made a gospel okay and they acted on it to find deliverance that God God accepted it and he turned from The righteousness of his wrath that was deserved, which is deserved upon us for our sin when we are in rebellion against him. But today, many of us who have heard the rich, free, sure promise of the Lord, there hasn't even been a force, you know, to move us, even though we have heard it spoken from a loving tender greater than Jonah in the Gospels. And, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we have heard it from a loving, tender evangelist of compassion and a, and a pastor who is tender and loving and humble. And what, and we, 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 what happens is, you know, we're committed in our um, duty to the Lord as we grow because repentance is... We, we won't even get to the third point today. I'm going to work on that next week. Um, but, you know, we can get so tied up in duty and and service and we we lose our devotion our first love as we see in ephesus there in Revelation chapter 2 but but he the lord jesus christ paid it all and gave his own life as a full sacrifice for the assurance of that promise that he's given to us the promise of hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sin so okay now what we're going to do is look at the second point now. That was just a brief introduction to the call of repentance. Now, this is going to be a little bit longer. It's the definition of what the Bible says, and what we need to look at, at what to know what it says, we need to look at what it um, what it's not. Okay, so a bit of the negative aspect of it. It is not, firstly, remorse. An example we all know, Judas Iscariot, and uh, Matthew 27. Verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read that. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, that was the Lord Jesus, with a kiss, remember, when he saw that he was condemned, Judas, repented himself. The Lord Jesus was condemned, that he condemned him because of that. Repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Verse 4. Saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See? See? Thou to that, all right. It is not remorse. Did Judas Iscariot truly repent? Judas Iscariot did not repent. Okay, his sorrow was not for his sin, as we see here. His sorrow was that he had gotten caught. And Paul describes that in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verse nine and ten. Now I rejoice that not that ye were made sorry. But that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So, Judas Iscariot was simply sorry that he had gotten caught. And that can lead to overwhelming bitterness of tears, even as we see here in his account, because his sin had been found out or our sin might be found out. And the danger here is you may have claimed that at your salvation, that bitter tears of remorse, um, and you've confused that as, as true repentance. So we need to be careful. We need to ask ourselves in that situation, was it godly sorrow, as Paul just described there, that worketh to repent true godly repentance? Was it sorrow? Was your sin... Um, did it, was it your you know was that sorrow in realization what your sin did to Jesus on Calvary's cross in nailing him there? So, or was it just merely the sorrow of the world that worketh death? So we need to work and examine that contrast, because it is possible for a person to grieve and weep under conviction, and still stop, one step short of genuine repentance. And Acts 24:25 reads As he reasoned of righteousness this is the apostle Paul before Felix temperance and judgment to come Felix trembled and answered Go thy way for this time for when I have convenient season I will call thee Felix trembled he was under conviction of that message of Righteousness, temperance, and judgment, true repentance toward God, and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, but he stopped one step short and first kings twenty one twenty seven we go to the old Testament. Uh, Ahab heard these words, and what did he do of of god 's judgment and and his righteousness? We know he was a very wicked king, Ahab, he put on sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. A lot of terrible things were circumstances were changing in his life at this time with not only him but his wife also, Jezebel. And because through Elijah, he was um, heard this. And you know, in verse 29, seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? He did rent his clothes, and before the Lord, he even humbled himself. We see that, but he did not rend his heart, Ahab. And uh, that was. The problem, it was remorse and having been found out. And so, one, it is not remorse, it is not reformation. And that, you know, reformation is in the sense of trying to clean up your own life or an area of it. And people are trying to do that. And, um, you know, they see a problem or a lacking and they're trying to fix it. And so, you know, there may be reformation in one area of a person's life there may be the degeneration also in another and, uh, and of a person's life, end of quote. How is one to think that even after hearing a good, convincing, evicting gospel message, and you know, many have come under the deep conviction of sin, even as we saw Felix there, and uh, I'm going, uh, and they say, they come out, uh, and they go, I'm going to quit drinking, Or it might be a New Year's resolution because there is a problem there that's affecting not only them but other people around them. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit looking upon other women. I'm going to quit using God's name in vain. And the fact is, people can quit it all. And then some of them become monks and they do monkism and just, you know, quitting everything. And And so... And so... And yet you can do that, you can quit it all and still become a first class candidate for help. In Romans eight eight, the Apostle Paul says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So reformation of self in the flesh does not please God, even though on the outward it looks, the world is impressed when people reform in an area that just was causing problems or wasn't right. There is nothing you can give up that can please God Almighty. And As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that when a person tries to get to heaven by self, and that's the key word, reformation, their latest estate, their last estate is worse than the first before they ever started to self-reform. And there's just a passage there in Matthew 12 talking about 43 to 45, the unclean spirits that have gone out of a man. He walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. And then he says, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when it is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. That's like reforming yourself. But 45, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last day of that man is worse than the first. Even so it shall be also unto the wicked generation. Because the wicked think that, for example, in illustrations, like a drunkard saying, when he is about to lose it all, this drinking is no good. It's broken my family. It's robbed me of my joy. It's taken all my money. I'm going to get rid of this bottle. And they've tried to clean up their act. But what happens the next week later? Tragedy. They are back at the bottle and as scripturally, they are literally worse. And there's been testimony of that. People who try to quit something that's not right, that's not good. And they go back worse and uh, than before generally. So how many people over the years, you know, have embezzled or stopped, which is stealing money from your work or the company you work for, you know, only to be driven insane, literally, by their conscience. This is talking about unsaved people because some years later, and I've read testimony, um, I Googled it, and you can find anything for an illustration in this regard, you know, they returned the money with a letter, but all the letters were anonymous in the mail and you know, and what that was for, to relieve their guilty conscience and 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 then the letter was unsigned. So what we need to realise when somebody does this, do you think it is repentance? The world would say yes it's remorse and a lot of people when you read the comments below are impressed by the what they call reform. Of someone returning something that they had stolen because they had affected someone's life, made it hard and very difficult for them. But I'm convinced if that had been true repentance, the testimony of the Lord would show in our outward um, testimony that in those letters or a letter that literally, quote, well, you could imagine, I've been saved by the grace of God. We've been singing about the grace. And because God has made me a new creature in Jesus Christ, I believe restitution is in order, and so it would not have been an anonymous letter, as an example. And um, I'm sure, in, in like, baptism is an outward testimony of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we use those opportunities, as humbling as they are, like this one, in, in a, if, if you're getting the idea of what I'm trying to portray, um... To make reconciliation and amends to those we have offended and to glorify God in seeking a conscience void of offence. Yes, before God, but also before men. They need to know who we are. They need to see the Lord in us in that testimony. So in finishing this um, reformation, we can quit it all. We can try and write things to look right and uh, even return things that weren't right. And, uh, and oh, it was just amazing. When you looked, there was different ways you can return stolen money back to your boss without him knowing about it. They had a lot of... <laughs> you can do tutorials on it, and, you know, and yet they were encouraging him, this is a wonderful thing that you're doing, and, 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 and so it, that's through the world's eyes. But through God's eyes, you know, we can quit it all. We can look right. We can we can have our hair cut right, whatever that is, you know. And you can dress right, and you know we know what that is when we talk about modesty before the Lord. But and still, we can still be unsaved, you know. We're talking about that outward appearance, and all right thirdly it is not religion um when we think the biblical definition of what it is not and i mentioned earlier those who do not want their conscience to serve disturbed you know the self-satisfied they they still want their religion though without that disturbance of conscience and this is the roman catholic version of the bible i, I was looking up And um, it says in Matthew 4 17 and anyone who's had anything to do with that will maybe recognise Matthew 4 17 it says from that time Jesus began to preach and to say do penance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand you might be picking up some red flag error there hopefully and also in 3 2 in the Catholic Bible and saying do penance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand alright what is penance we're thinking about religion now now we learned in church history in 1545 the Council of Trent said this is what penance is because the Council of Trench were the body of uh, Catholic um, people that were having to reply to the Protestant Reformation. You know, they were putting the truth out there and exposing the error and darkness of this system. And so they had to quickly form a group to answer and this is one of them, and this is an exact quote on penance. Quote: Penance. This cause you can actually look up the statement in the council from 1545. Penance is necessary for one who falls. That's if you fall into sin after baptism, as baptism for those who have never been baptized. Now they baptize babies into the church for their salvation, which we know is all heresy. It's all, and that penance is blasphemy. And uh, and when because. The reason being, when one is a Roman Catholic, they are required to go into a confession booth and name their sins to the priests. And the priest would grant them what they call absolution, which they call forgiveness, for your sins. And what happens is when you walk away from that booth having been absolved from your sins by the priest telling you that you've been forgiven, one walks away from the confessional booth with a satisfaction in the heart that those sins had been forgiven. Now, because you were told, now, the work of that satisfaction, here are the key words, it's a work, it's it's a doing, is called the work of penance. Another work of penance involves, and this is also, you see this same characteristic in other, what we call false religions, bodily harm, which is like a self-punishment to try and right a wrong your own way. Thinking God, thinking God is going to be pleased with that or appeased by it. And that's religion, that's not repentance, what the Bible talks about. You can see how a man is most commonly religious all over the world. And, you know, people travelled the world and they used to come and tell us and write books of and you can but with google now you can travel the world uh and see other cultures and how they practice their religions and for example um just go to rome at the church of the holy stairs you will see people crawling up those stairs on their knees those stairs are very worn out them jesus is meant to have walked up those stairs and and drip drops of blood I they've said this they must i reckon look, they get a lot of people. That's religion. That's not repentance. Just the point I'm making. And St. Peter's Cathedral, you will see the statue of Peter. And, you know, his toe has been... All his toes on his foot have been literally rubbed off. from. They touch it, they kiss it, um, of that statue. And they think that's it's going to take away their sins. And there are many other religions that have their pilgrimages. They have their sacred sites that they worship to hope that it will peace for their sins. Quote, There are two letters difference between Christianity and religion. You know how you spell religion? D-O, do. And do you know how you spell Christianity? D-O-N-E, done. It's already been done. Was paid for at the cross of Calvary. End of quote. I thought that was a good one. It is not remorse. It is not reformation. And it is not religion. So let's go positively now to what repentance is. All right. One word has to do with sorrow. Um. Oh, sorry. As we consider the Old Testament, there are two words translated repentance in the Old Testament, and it's to do with sorrow, and it means to sigh. You know, to groan. To lament and groan for um, something and the other 600 times in the Old Testament still is to turn, to return to turn around from going your own way to going literally the way of the God of Israel in the Old Testament and that is what we see, we saw that in our text in Jonah chapter 3 verse 8 and 10 and um, after they humbled themselves the king said let let them turn everyone from his evil way. Everyone, even the animals, which was a bit, sometimes in those cultures they even uh, did, said that when, when they went through a great circumstance. The animals were involved. And from the violence that is in their hands. And then verse 10, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil. So he saw the true, genuine repentance of their heart toward God. From this great warning of doom that they. So, in the New Testament, the Greek word for repent is used 61 times, and it is talking about what we need to realise a change of mind, okay? It is a change of mind about sin, it is a change of mind about self. It is a change of mind about salvation. And so we're going to look at those. It involves the intellect and mind. So not like Jonah, as we read there in our text, who did not even mention the word repentance or any way of um, appeasing God. or And so he held out literally, consequently, no hope for them, for a turning of, of their ways. And if we're today, as we know, you know in the, in the Gospels, in the in the scriptures, the Old and New Testament also. If we're going to tell someone to repent, we've got to tell them why they need to repent. It may be impressed upon their minds so that you know we can their minds can be impressed with what the problem is that their sins literally nailed Jesus to the cross, and that's where we see the Ten Commandments come in. Our sin that has directly offended God Himself and. And our sin against men, men that God has created in his own image as we've offended, has all offended God. We think of Galatians 3.24, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And Romans 3.19 and 20 says, the Apostle Paul, that when you and I stand before the Lord, every mouth is stopped and all the world is guilty before God. And that's um, when they stand before God at the great white throne. Those who have never repented, they they stand guilty before God. And uh, the first message that was preached after the cross, in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter got up at Pentecost and he preached, repent and be baptised, every one of you, because he told them to repent. Um, Before he told them to repent, as you read in the text there in Acts chapter 2, he prepared them, he he impressed upon their minds as we think about the intellect, the mind, the reason why they needed to repent, they needed to turn back to God. They needed to repent in both chapters and you read in 2 and 3 because he said to them, you who were waiting for the Messiah to come and he has come. You took a murderer and a thief, and we know that was Barabbas, and you let him go free, and you crucified. You put the holy, pure, spotless Son of God on the cross of Calvary. You may have done this in ignorance, okay, as it says in chapter 3, but you're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So he impressed upon them their guiltiness, their wickedness, and yes in their ignorance but the time of this ignorance God has winked at and commands everyone everywhere now to repent Acts 2.37 now when they heard this this is in Acts chapter 2 they were pricked in their hearts they heard this and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do and here's what we have done many times um, ourselves as we can bring it home like our ch- kids have, they've grown up in Christian homes and, you know, with a theology in their head that they've been taught from the Bible and the preaching of the word. And yet, many times we need to recognize without a Christ in their heart. And so, when we have taught them, you know, the phrases, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, I want him to come into my heart. And many times they go through the whole scenario. Never literally seeing themselves as a dirty, filthy, hell-deserving sinner. And so what it is, we see, the most difficult thing we will have to do, whether we're a parent, whether we're a, a, a children's ministry leader or a witness of the gospel of Christ, it is to get a person to admit that they are a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. And this involves the mind. Two, it involves the emotions. Now we need to have a word of caution here because you cannot appeal to the emotions alone. And there is an emotional involvement as we see in repentance. And uh, when we consider Luke chapter 18, verse 10 to 14, I'm going to read that. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess, their doers. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, Rather than the other, this man, what we need to realize, did not know anything about the cross of Christ or the resurrection of Christ at this time, but he had a deep longing over his sin to get it absolved, to get it forgiven, and so he came to Jesus Christ, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, as we read there now what we we have a lot of Christian movies with that technology out today and with that associated with that a lot of music and we need to be discerning when we're thinking of emotions in how we use them as a gospel witness. And uh, and I know, and I've read, many churches have used movies and uh, movies have been used successfully in, in being a witness over the years but we need to, in, in, in bringing a um, salvation invitation after it, in, in trying to get people saved. Now, what I've heard of, especially with some more of the modern Christian even movies, or maybe not, because some more liberal churches have even used Hollywood-themed movies, and uh, we've even heard of The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, and there's other even more current, which are just not God-honouring, but they're themed that way. It's a bit like Elvis singing Christmas carols, make, and you buy it because... And, and you follow him because he's made an album many years ago of Christmas carols, and even Justin Bieber has written a worship CD. And if just if you've heard one interview from him, you, you just cannot see any fruit meet for repentance in his life. Um, and there is a great warning there, and so and discernment. And they know this stuff sells if they that's why they do it these uh, modern artists wicked artists that have other music is wicked and not honoring at all and so many times a problem even with well well thinking of Hollywood themed movies and then give a salvation invitation after it now what we need to realize Nobody ever will or ever has been saved through the Hollywood film industry because God cannot bless the filthiness and wickedness of Hollywood in any way. And uh, and that's my opinion. You may have a different opinion. Many, and even with Christian movies today, problem with so-called Christian films is that you have a heart-rending scene at the end of the movie and then right at the end of the film and then... They may appeal for people to be saved uh, and you cannot appeal to the motions alone. There's got to be a balance. Um, there, But we need to realise there is an emotional involvement and we can praise God because we have many of them ourselves, good Christian films that deal with the sin problem that separates us from God. And I know a girl that is still walking with the Lord today that was saved through Sheffy many years ago in having watched that, and the music was um, God honoring music, it didn't appeal to the flesh and the emotions and so generally most of these are older films, and uh the music is still good and unfortunately, there's movies today Christian that are good, but their music is not honoring as we have our um, standard of music to honor God in that and not honor the emotions as and what because what that can do it can draw people into a false sense and can all right as we reflect we need to reflect on our own first time that we saw ourselves uh, under the conviction of sin as a dirty filthy hell deserving sinner can we uh, when we when we first got saved, can we consider the overwhelmingness of the sins that we that we had become aware of that we had committed against God and uh and you know when we when we made that decision to pour our heart you know of grief to him in repentance of that sin and put our faith in his son. And uh so with that it involves the mind, repentance and it involves the emotions and thirdly it involves the will. There must be a willingness. And just quickly reading Deuteronomy as Actually, I'll just quote because it says in Deuteronomy 4:30 if thou turn to the Lord, there we have turning, thy God, and then verse 29, thou shalt find him. And that, Zechariah 1:3, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you saith the Lord of hosts turn ye unto me and I will that reminds me of a promise you know in James chapter 4 draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you cleanse ye hands ye sinners and purify ye hearts ye double minded that's repentance be afflicted and mourn and weep and your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness and then we see the emotions involved humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up and so um, the whole city of, when we think of Nineveh, we think in the last verse there, it talks about 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from their right hand and, um, and I should spare Nineveh, said God, the great city where are more than six, six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle and Many writers say that that 's the children they 're just referring to, and uh, they 're not being able to discern and and it 's interesting when you add parents to that and other people it 's about could be about two million people could have been in that city, and you know the greatest of them, the king to the least of them, humble themselves as we see in verse five to eight and and they turn from their evil way and violence and What a rebuke to the many of our Lord's Day as we see that rebuke in our New Testament text there we looked at in uh, in Matthew 12. And, you know, we who have been favoured with the tender and loving admonitions yet rejecting the warnings. And many people will stop one step short of salvation because they have literally a dominating sin in their life. That they do not want to give up, and there, see, there must be a willingness, and uh, and, I, and that's because it affects the will. And uh, now we are aware, you know, as we've looked through many scriptures, that no man can realize he's a sinner, no man can realize he needs to repent until the Spirit of God shines a spotlight of conviction on his soul and how ever you know when the Holy Spirit does that there must be a willingness to turn from sin and sin willingness to turn from sin literally as a lifestyle and that's what gets a lot of people that is that seems like a death penalty giving up your lifestyle saying no longer do I want sin as a lifestyle and First Thessalonians 1, nine, they literally in Thessalonica turn from God, from idols to serve the living and true God. That was their whole lifestyle changing from serving themselves to serving the true God. The question is, are we willing? Are you willing to give up worldly pleasures? And we've covered a few of these, rock music, alcohol, drugs, adultery. Wouldn't it be wonderful to turn from sin, have your sins forgiven? Come to Christ and be a new creature in Christ and know you're going to heaven. Now, what we need to consider in that aspect, one day, willingly or not, the unrepentant sinner, if they haven't, if they've rejected, will give up their sin anyway. They're going to one day give it up when they die. and But then it'll be too late to come to Christ and be forgiven. And just in concluding this, what we need to realise, they had a 40-day... Um, notification in Jonah and Nineveh shall be overthrown yet 40 days in verse 4 in the you know the preaching of the word that the Lord had for Jonah what Jonah voiced was actually a warning only as we see of impending doom in 40 days and as we see that Again, as I've mentioned, the text did not show any mention of repentance and it, it was literally like there was no hope for them. And But like Abraham, you know, bef, who was before Christ also, they believed the God of Israel. They believed in Jonah's God, which accounted to his righteousness. Jonah believed, uh, Abraham believed God and God accounted it him, unto him for righteousness. And here we see that same Theme. Even, you know, in that type of impending judgment, there is also, there is an element of mercy here. Just being warned about something is an act of mercy. There could have been nothing said and just wiped off the face of the earth in 40 days. But there was something said, even though it was very sure and very hard. And with that, they were able to make a gospel message from that because here we have the king saying in verse 9, who can tell? You know, who can tell there might be some hope, there might be bare hope that God will t- turn, that this true God of Israel will turn and have mercy on us. And even in the fact that they were given a short time to consider, this was 40, 40 days is not a long time. And if we consider the shortness of our days 40 days, 40 years it's not a very long time. Some of us may not live that are here or on the stream more than the next 40 days and whether it's 40 years that's you know does this not cause us to think about the shortness of life and our lives and um, the brevity and, and also the life to come are we going to be in the presence of God forever or are we going to be out of the presence of God forever after we die there'll be no more sin to indulge in and enjoy and there'll be no more witness of a gospel it's too late either way However brief, we know that everyone is going, must appear before his God to give an account. And so as we look back at Jonah, this message, in the gloominess of the message, um, it made violent and wicked men tremble and return to the God that created them. And we have a far better hope. The greater than Jonah has showed us the Lord Jesus Christ in the living word, a great hope. And as we consider... I just want to close with Isaiah, which is what we know well. 55, 6 and 7 in the Old Testament. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance let's pray lord we thank you for this word of great hope and mercy of your great long suffering and lord your plan of salvation and what repentance means as we would go home and consider our lives before you lord lord that we would consider you as worthy And holy and righteous, Lord, in every aspect of our life. And that we would make you that, Lord, in everything we do and say and think in our mind and hearts, Lord. Lord, may it lead us to cry out as the psalmist cried, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, and try me and know my thoughts, Lord. We think of the mind and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting, Lord. And we just thank you that um, we have this great opportunity now and, Lord, we pray that the urgency will be impressed upon us as in the message of 40 days. May we not wait 40 days or 40 years, Lord. May we seek the Lord now in our hearts as, Lord, as we are moved with your compassion and, Lord, are greater than Jonah, Lord. Jonah was just a mere man that sinned. Lord... You actually died on the cross when you were in the grave three days and three nights. And then you rose again victorious on that third day, defeating the power over sin, death and hell that keeps us one step short of eternal glory. And so we just pray you'll help us to learn what it means to deny ourselves, to dedicate ourselves unto thee, O Lord. We pray and ask these things to the praise and glory of your grace in your worthy and precious name. Amen.